0: I feel like today is, is one of those transition Sundays. I was reflecting on, well, what do I speak on? We have just completed our series in the book of Nehemiah, the exploration of our strategic plan, and we don't want to forget everything that we've looked at in the past, those pillars. And you remember the four pillars? Because we're going to be carrying those themes with us as we build and develop teams that will help us to move forward as we think of discipleship, leadership, service, and our facilities. Um, and in all that we want to do, we want to say the joy of the Lord is our strength. Uh, we want to go forward, and we want to serve the Lord with gladness. We don't want to just take on these jobs with drudgery, but to serve with gladness in all that we do um, then last Sunday, so as we came to the conclusion of our series, do, do you know that just over 250 of you signed up at one of those four pillars that were placed in various corners of the room here? Over 250 of you said, I don't just want to be a bystander. I want to be actively involved in promoting uh, MCBC to move forward in our strategic projects in our mission, that really was an exciting day, and it was moving. Um, one of the other leaders in our church just leaned over to me um, and just said, "This is stunning. This was last week as we just saw the numbers of people that went up the sign at the different pillars. And then so we're on a transition day, right we've wrapped up that series, and next week is the first Sunday in December. It's the kickoff of of our Christmas season as we move into this new season where we anticipate the birth of Jesus. Two weeks from now is our Christmas gathering in the evening. We're excited about just all that's ahead. You can get those tickets even after the service today. But can I say this too? There's some other ways personally in which I feel like I'm at a transition time. It's a transition time for me and for our family. Last Sunday at church, so my granddaughter, Ava, I can give a shout out to her. Yeah, she's goofing around somewhere in the back corner there. Um, oh, oh, paying very close attention to grandpa as he speaks. Um, um, last Sunday, my 19-month-old granddaughter was looking at the pictures in the hallway and she has now added, I must say, a new word to her vocabulary. She looked, she saw my picture out there for the very first time and said, Grandpa! <laughs> and it's like, you know, like if that does not make my heart melt, you know, I do not know what does. But let me say this, she is still not quite at the place where she can say Grandma. So she looks at my wife and she says, Grandpa! <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, we're having fun with that. Um, today is a transition Sunday, a day between two significant moments. And uh, it's kind of like, I think, that text that we looked at this morning already, the scripture reading, because that scripture reading that we read, G- the story of Jesus calming the storm, it, it really, in a way, is a transition story. Jesus has just finished a teaching ministry. Uh, In fact, if you look at how the story flows in Mark chapter 4, Jesus was seated in the boat as he was teaching the people on the shore, and then the disciples got into the boat with him, and then Jesus said, let's cross over to the other side. It felt like a, a transition kind of text where he's crossing over and getting ready to go to the next place, another place of ministry. But on this Transition Sunday, I really believe that Jesus has something for us today as we um, cross over to the other side, Um, crossing over to the next season of our church life. But Jesus has something for you today. Do you believe that? Um, Some weather experts are trying to tell us that we are gearing up for an especially long, stormy winter weather this year. Have you heard those forecasts as well? Some of you, yes, some some of you just don't wanna hear that. It's just like, um, okay, we're hoping the prediction is wrong, but um, did you know that on the Sea of Galilee, on the west side, it was, and it still is hard to predict the weather. The cool air that rushes down the hills mixed with warm air on the lake makes for unexpected tempests. Uh, But I'd like to invite you just to come and pray with me as we explore God's word and as we enter into the text of Mark chapter four. Let's pray together. Lord, you know that I want to speak your word, and I know for the hearts that are here today that they want to hear you, so Lord, help us to be in tune with that again, so so we meet with you today. May we honor you with our minds, may we honor you with our hearts, may we worship you fully, so speak to us in these moments, we pray, amen. So um, Rembrandt, his only seascape painting is the depiction of our scripture reading today. This artist depicts uh, some of the disciples. You can see the picture there at the front, painted in the 1600s by Rembrandt, um, depicts this very story that we have read Some of the disciples are trying to hold on to the boat. Um, One of them, actually, if you look more closely, is leaning over the side and is about to vomit. Um, The others are crying out to Jesus after awakening him, saying, don't you care if we drown? If you were to look more closely at this picture, and I know you're a little distance away from it still, um, you'll count, actually, that there are 13 disciples plus Jesus. Rembrandt, as he painted this picture, he painted himself into the story. Can you imagine that? If you paint yourself into that story, where would you be on that boat? What would you be doing right there? Now, if we only had the painting, and if the gospel of Mark was lost, and we never had the story recorded we probably would be convinced just looking at the picture that everybody there was going to drown, that death was imminent. But at the climax of the story, when the wind and the waves are beating on them, Jesus is not the least bit worried. And he asks, why are you so afraid? Story has a ring of truth to it. New Testament scholar Richard Baucom says, uh, he speaks of the Irrelevant details of of the scripture reading that we heard this morning, such as the other boats that were on the lake at the same time, or why Jesus was sleeping on a cushion, they seem to be unnecessary to the story. They do not advance the plot, but they are a mark of what he calls genuine reminiscence. We have a first hand story here. And then as we read more deeply, we see that the disciples do not paint themselves out to be amazing heroes. We are tempted to think that we in the church always have to put on an image that our faith is always strong and that we always have it together, but they tell a story of themselves being filled with fear and actually being rather cowardly. Why would they put themselves into such a negative light Unless this is indeed what happened. One note about this Rembrandt painting. In uh, 1990, uh, two thieves disguised as police officers broke into a Boston museum and stole this painting. It's a large painting, actually. it's, It's four by five as Rembrandt painted it. And a dozen other paintings in what is considered to be the biggest art theft in U.S. history. The heist remains unsolved, and the painting is still lost today. So if you go to that museum in Boston, you will see today only the frame and no picture in it, uh, because it has never been recovered. But for those of us here this morning, as we look at the story of Jesus calming the storm, we don't want this message to be lost for us today. We want to find it. We want to find the truth that God has for us in these moments. So I want to explore a couple of Old Testament books, first of all, and uh, explore these Old Testament books as they help us to understand what is happening in this story here. First of all, understanding the Psalms helps us to make sense of this gospel story. Psalm 65 uh, speaks of this. God, our Savior, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves and the turmoil of the nations. Or Psalm 104, 7 tells us, but at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. Or I love Psalm 107. Notice this in verse 29. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. Is this not, in a sense, Words of prophecy, as we think of what Jesus has done with the calming of the storm. These verses from the Psalms t- speak, though, about God's majesty. God tames the watery chaos. God has come here to, ca- to ta- calm a ta- chaos. The very thing, don't you love that? The very thing that Jesus does in this story. And out of this story of Jesus calming the sea, we read that he says, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. In ancient stories, the sea was uncontrollable by any power but God. But Jesus spoke, and the storm complied like an obedient child. At the end of this short story, the disciples ask, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They know that they are in the presence of no ordinary man. The same one who calms the wind and the waves is the one who sleeps peacefully in the storm. There is only one scripture passage that tells us about Jesus sleeping. It seems like an echo of Psalm 4, Psalm 4, 8, where we read, In peace I will lie down and sleep for you alone make me dwell in safety now that's a picture of trusting in god that's a picture of peace to say i don't have to worry about the trouble of the day i can rest in peace do you know there's there's no christmas bible verse that talks about the little lord jesus sleeping The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. The only place that we read about Jesus sleeping is with his head on a cushion in a storm-tossed boat. The church has loved this record of Jesus calming the storm because it highlights the humanity of Jesus as he experiences fatigue and he sleeps, and it highlights the deity of Jesus in that he speaks to the storm And it obeys. There is doctrine in this short story. There is doctrine that we see Jesus as both human and divine. Jesus, the God, man. There's one other Old Testament book, though, that helps us to make sense of this gospel story. Can you guess what it is? It's the book of Jonah. Have you ever compared this miracle story of Jesus with the book of Jonah? There are eight similarities. Let me fire through them. Key character gets into a boat. The stor- a storm arises and threatens everyone. Everyone on the boat panics. The key character is found sleeping. Those on board wake up the key character. They question the key character. The sea becomes calm. The people on the boat respond with a greater fear of God. There are also some differences, aren't there, between Jonah and the Jesus story, or the story. Jonah was the reason for the storm. Jesus is the reason for the calming. Another difference, Jonah was on the boat to run away from the Gentiles. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was crossing over to the other side to go to the Gentiles. Or thirdly, third difference, Jesus had to be or Jonah, excuse me, Jonah had to be delivered from death. Jesus rescues from death. When in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus is asked for hard evidence. Can you give us a sign to prove who you really are? And Jesus answers with words something like this. The only proof that you're going to get is something that you might think is the absence of proof, but it's the Jonah story. And then in Matthew chapter 12, he concludes, Jesus says, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. Think of it. When Jonah said, In Jonah 1, if you throw me into the sea, it will become calm. Jesus is the one who comes into our lives to calm all winds and all waves. That's his promise. Tim Keller asks, how can he do this? He can do it only because when he was on the cross, He was thrown willingly like Jonah into the ultimate storm under the ultimate waves, the waves of sin and death. Jesus was thrown into the only storm that can actually sink us. The storm of eternal justice of what we owe from our wrongdoing. So the contrast, Jonah had to be delivered from death. Jesus rescues from death. Well, I hope that you've got a picture now of this story as we've examined it in light of the Psalms and in light of Jonah. But really, I think there are um, three takeaways that I want to highlight for you today. Three takeaways that speak to me and I hope also speak to you. And here's the first one. Jesus is with us in the boat. Our family went on a Caribbean cruise a half a dozen years ago, And doing it for the first time, um, we wanted to make sure that we would not get seasick. The major cruise lines um, had these assurances. Uh, If you go online, uh, you can find them now, and here's one of their promises from Royal Caribbean. While you can't entirely prevent seasickness, most new cruisers have no problems with seasickness on our ships due to their size, navigational avoidance of storms, and stabilizers. Jesus had none of them on his boat. Um, I like the stabilizer idea. That means, you know what, if you are playing billiards on the ship, and uh, the ship hits a wave, it will balance itself out so that there is a guarantee that the balls are not going to roll on you but you're going to be able to play a perfect game on the ship. What guarantees? Jesus could have installed these features on his little boat, but he did not promise any of this. A cruise may be delightful, but there is something much more daring and far more fulfilling, and it's this getting into the boat with Jesus. And if you haven't gotten into the boat with him yet, if you haven't made a step of faith to say, I'm all in, what are you waiting for? Because of this story, the Christian community has sometimes used the image of the church being a boat. Just as the disciples followed Jesus into the boat All of us who follow him are saying, my lot is with you. And we follow, and then we discover Jesus doesn't eliminate storms. In fact, following him will take you into risky places. The early church had its share of storms. They were persecuted. They were afraid of being arrested. And for us too, life is never as safe as we hope it will be. A car breaks down. Our health is precarious. Family issues remain unresolved. There's stress in the workplace. Lack of work is discouraging. You're struggling with depression. You're feeling lonely or isolated. And feeling out of control doesn't just happen on the sea, but he has promised, I will help you and I will be with you. The amazingly good news is that we have Jesus and he is in the boat with us, and that is the best place that we can be because we are with him, and he is there. Jesus is in the boat. Jesus helps doubters. In the gospel stories, um, you will see that Jesus praises faith, doesn't he? One of his healing stories he was astonished at the faith of an outsider a centurion he admires the faith of this roman soldier and he speaks to other people about this roman soldier saying i have never seen faith like anybody in with anybody in israel who has faith like this roman centurion and now here in this story what is jesus doing He is seeking to grow the faith of those who are closest to him, to grow the faith of those who are already on their way of following Jesus. If you read the story of of Jesus calming the storm in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, compare it there, and he describes the disciples as having just a little faith. He said, oh, you of little faith. And if faith can be defined as having a courageous confidence that God is equal to the occasion, God is equal to any problem that I face, then Jesus rebuked them and said, you're not there yet. They did have a little faith. They were ready to get into the boat with him, but now they were doubting. In one other language, there are various images that are used for doubt. And in another language, Doubt is used with the image of putting one foot into one boat and one foot in another boat and trying to stand and keep beautiful balance as you stand there. Well, you know that it's not going to happen very easily. Doubt is like wavering. It's, it's, it's being in two minds where you go back and forth between saying, I really believe. I don't know if I believe. And let me say that doubt is different than unbelief. Unbelief is rejection, saying, I do not believe that. I reject it. But those who doubt say, I'm torn between the two. I'm going back and forth between them. Doubt wavers. But in this story, Jesus helps doubters. It's a story for those of us who doubt. He doesn't say to his disciples, well, come back to me later. When your faith is stronger... And uh, then I will help you later with this problem. The disciples just came to him and they cried out for help. Jesus doesn't toss those disciples out of the boat and say, I'm going to try working with somebody else who's a little more together and a little better at this. Jesus wants you. Jesus helps us however we come. But the point is this. Just come. Just come. I love Jude's little verse in his short letter where he says this, Be merciful to those who doubt. Be patient with your doubting friends. Be patient with yourself if you are wavering. And know this, His grace is is greater than our faith or our lack of faith. His grace is stronger. He still calmed the storm for the struggling disciples when they just came to him. His love is greater than our fears. He invites his disciples and he speaks to you and me, just keep on following. Jesus helps doubters. Jesus... Allows people he loves to go through storms. The disciples ask a mysterious question. In Mark 4, 38, look at the question that they ask. Don't you care if we drown? Wouldn't you think they would just say, Jesus, please rescue us. We're in trouble. You're there. Just rescue us. But they accuse Jesus of not caring. Now, these are not, these disciples are not the people outside of the church who are saying, "Uh, Jesus, don't you care? But these are fearful believers who are saying it. I think that all of us have said this at one time or another. If you really loved me, then you wouldn't let me have this problem. Or if you really loved me, then you would have answered my prayer by now. Or if you really loved me, I wouldn't feel like I'm sinking here. Jesus allows people that he loves to go through storms. It's the temptation. um, I'm very aware of one temptation, one temptation in my life, it's the temptation of predicting what God will do in every situation. Are you like that? Um, do you remember the story? It's an old story of the person who was trying to disprove God. And that person said, if there is a God, I challenge this God to knock me dead within the next minute. Heard it? You heard that kind of story? And then they get their watch out and they time it, and then one minute is up, and then they say, see, there's no God. Um, I think I'd just say to that person, maybe God has better things to do than to listen to you right now. In this story, the disciples end with a question. Who is this? Who is this person? If you or I can predict with clarity what God will do in each situation, then just maybe the reality is that you are not worshiping the untamable God who both allows us to go through the storm and then calms the wind and the waves. He does both. He permits the storm, but later he calms it. Instead, I wonder if sometimes we end up worshiping a God of our own imagination, where we predict and tell him what he should do. Have you noticed that the disciples are so afraid? Um, Some of them being experienced fishermen, that they rouse Jesus, believing that they are going to die. And after Jesus calms the storm and they are delivered, they are afraid with, and in the Greek... I think you know these words in the Greek, a megaphobos, a great fear. If you were in the boat, would you be more afraid during the storm or after the storm is instantly calmed by Jesus' words? What do you think? Because The Gospel of Mark tells us that they were terrified during the storm and then after Jesus calmed the storm, then they were terrified by Jesus and afraid of him and afraid of who they were in the boat with. Fear on both sides. The second fear is something more like, I think we might call, the fear of the Lord. It's like saying, I'm scared where God might lead me, but I also trust him with my fears. The fact that God is God is terrifying. The fact that God is God is comforting. And in a children's story, some of you have read these words. Of course he's not safe but he is good. So here we are on this Transition Sunday, anticipating all that is to come for this Christmas season. But right here, we're the church. We're in this boat together, trusting God for all that is ahead. Will you join together with me in prayer? Let's pray. Oh Lord, our goal is to believe in you so deeply and so thoroughly that our first response in every crisis is faith in what you will do and in trusting how you are going to bless for what is next. But Lord, we admit that we still have some way to go. So we pray that you would lead us from fearful midget faith to mature adulthood. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.